the Jewish Divorce Project. Because marriage doesn't always work out and chicken soup doesn't always help. A lot of times men look for female um, clinicians. They mm, wonder why they, that is. <laughs> but I, I think they feel like um, there's more empathy there, whether or not that's true, but that's the uh, cliche standard approach. Um, yeah. Do you feel like that's a strength you could bring to a relationship? Is that because you're a therapist, you bring a little bit maybe more empathy to the relationship itself? And that's something that a guy should see as a real benefit to being in a relationship with you. Not because I'm a woman, but because I'm a therapist. Well, in general, because of you just who you are, who you are. Right. But that because you're a therapist, right. That I don't know, is trained you in a particular way or speaks naturally to who you are that, you know, is a particular benefit to being in relationship to you. <laughs> that's an interesting question. So I have been, I think I came into this mental health field very naive, where I thought people who are therapists trained in mental health, practicing, engaging with clients will have some degree of emotional intelligence. And I often find that that's not the case and it's surprising to me. And sometimes I have clients who are dating therapists or mental health professionals. And I understand that I'm only hearing their side, but sometimes they'll repeat what they've said or what they've done. So there isn't that much interpretation. And I'm, I'm shocked. I'm just, you're dating a therapist and that's what they said and did. It's, mm. So I'm not perfect and I have my hangups and my weaknesses, but I, I do think that I bring to the table. And I also have gotten this feedback from people I've dated that I communicate well, I've got, I'm good at perspective, at seeing the other side, at listening uh, and I think a lot of that comes from my training. Sure. Sure. And maybe also being able to understand that someone else is having another experience of you and you have to mitigate that in some way, or at least you have to be able to bridge that so that there is a clear understanding of what's happening. Therapy is a lot like that, isn't it? Say that again. <laughs> oh, never mind. It's off topic. But it's funny that you mentioned that, like, you know, hopefully you behave well on dates as a therapist right? Because you've been trained in a certain way. And like, there have been times I've spoken to my therapist about women I've been on dates with or have dated who have been therapists. And my therapist says something like, oh, she should have known better, that sort of thing. Um, you know, in yes. terms of the way the <laughs> dynamic happened or worked out. Yes, I agree. Although I guess some people are well-trained and get their therapy hat on and they are good at perspective, but yet when they're emotionally invested in their own life, their skills oh, of course. are not you, as readily yeah. available. Oh. Well, but I don't think it's fair to ask someone to be completely, you know, the entirety of their profession all the time. Their professional, you know, boundaries prevent them from being entirely human. And that's okay to slip into those for no. those professional moments. You can't be expected to maintain those all the time. And no, because this profession, it's not like, you're an architect. So when you come home, I want you to be always an analytical and mathematical and make sure like being in that state of mind, a therapist state of mind is openness, understanding, empathy, compassion, engagement, communication, 
those are skills we all should be having the majority of the time. So I Everyone think needs we should be therapist. asking therapists. But oh man, that's baloney. Everyone needs to have a therapist mind all the time. Come on. Not a therapist mind because a therapist mind is how can I help you? So no, that you should not have all the time because it's not always your role to help the person you're with. But the skills that a therapist promotes, yes, we should all be having those skills all of the time. Make way for Sheva's. This class will make you a better <laughs> human being. Wait, what skill do you think we should not be having? No, you tell me. You're the one who says the skill set is necessary for everyone. Yeah, this is how you live a life where you don't take things so personally, where you can slow down, calm down, relax, engage in conversation, be curious about other people, be curious about what happens. And around you have to you. want to be able to do all those things. Well, yeah, you can want <laughs> to be anything or do anything that you want to be or change. I can't make you want something, but what's the ideal? What is a more balanced, effective life? I think though, using those skills all the time. That's a really good point. Thank you. Have you met any men who have demonstrated that to you? Yes. And what's the list again? List of? The, the skills, what are they? Oh, I, I mean, I guess summarized good skills can communicate, well, can communicate their own needs. Have Wait, communicate empathy, well, communicate their own needs well. Communicate their own needs well. Okay. Have understanding and perspective for your needs and your side. Sure. Respect you. Sure. And curiosity. Curiosity sure. is a is a game changer. And because when things happen to us around us, we often go into assumption and judgment and interpretation. And when we're curious, it just openly leads to a conversation rather than accusation of what you just said to me felt mean. Is that what you, what meant? you meant? Right. Yeah. Did you mean to hurt me or am right. I misunderstanding? Right. And then the person right. can say, yes, I'm very angry. I meant to hurt you. And then we, or no, I didn't mean it like that. I was being flippant. I wasn't I actually meant attention. to say this, which was meant to be far more harmful. Yeah. Things get misinterpreted so often. And I think that is actually a key factor to look for is curiosity. Can you be curious and can the other person be curious about what's happening? And it's not easy because we really take things personally all the time and it feels personal. Well, that, but that's my point is that like, if you're living in the moment, right? If you're being completely present, you can't necessarily always step back and be curious, right? Or be respectful or try to be understanding of the other person's experience of what they're going through. And also, by the way, be in the midst of an emotion and naturally articulate what you're going through and what you need to respond to it. Balancing all that shit is the work of a fucking, you know, circus jugular. You expect I the think... average, you know, working guy to be able to do all that shit in really nice and loving and tender ways, you know, and maybe also supply a bouquet of flowers. I think you're barking up the wrong tree. Okay. I don't know. Couple things. I don't expect the average person. I feel no, like just you said, this Superman. is the, no, this is what's the, this is a, you want to live a happier life. This is one way to do it. Second, the definition of being present is noticing. Being present in the moment is noticing what's going on. It doesn't mean you need to negate your emotion and turn on the charm. I'm not saying you're negating your emotion, but it means being able to take all that in. And I'm telling you this as someone, I, and 
I'm speaking humbly, humbly, but I, I'd like to think that I'm somewhat emotionally intelligent, right? And that, you know, after a long time, I've been able to recognize the emotions that come up. I would love to be like Spock to the point where like, they come up and I go like, oh, isn't that interesting? What's going on, right? But that's not what happens. I think it takes a lot of people a long time to be able to do that. And what I'm saying is that like, to be able to see what's going on in your own self as something's also happening to you and being able to guard against what's ever happening to you instead of what's going on inside you is a very difficult thing to do. Great. We we change, we improve through challenge. It is it's a difficult skill, but it's well worth the effort to put in to get there. Oh my God. All it takes is stopping and noticing. I am feeling irritated. I am angry. I need a minute. That is also being mindful, saying, hey, I'm noticing I'm getting really upset and agitated. I just need a minute before I say or do things I'm going to regret. I'm going to take a walk around the block. It's not that out three, there. Two, one, one, two, three. What the <laughs> heck is bothering me? <laughs> there you go. You've got some great rhymes to go with it. <laughs> I've learned that one. <laughs> three, two, one, one, two, three. What the hell or what the heck? Well, it depends how angry you are. I Why think. the hell are you bothering me? <laughs> Get the fuck away from me. <laughs> think about the whole nursery rhyme book. <laughs> of gentle aphorisms or affirmations right. to say when angry. It's like that go the fuck to sleep book. Right. Just the ways of dealing with your anger and brief poetic <laughs> prose. I, I don't think it's so unattainable. Also, we we all, yes, like it is very hard to be that 100%, 100% of the time, but how quickly can you come back and own it, apologize, repair? That is different. That yeah. is very different. And I, but I, I, I would also love to see someone who could be patient with that too, to recognize that like each person needs to be able to have their own emotional experience and honor that and go through that, you know, entirely, and then also be able to come together. Right. I think it is asking a lot for like, to be in relationship with someone and to have something that you're going through, you know, and to potentially be projecting that onto someone else and then to still expect them to be there for you a hundred percent. That's a lot. Right. Like, what do you mean? It doesn't sound like a lot. A hundred percent. I mean, like, and to think that like they don't have their own experience going through it, right? Like, they're totally capable of being 110% present for you. I think it's it's a little bit unattainable to expect somebody to be there for you 110%. That's my point. Yeah, I agree. That's my point. Yeah, you want somebody who's, I'm here. Right. I'm here. I'm going to meet you in the middle. I'm here. I support you. I love you. But we all have our own stuff, our own shit, our own, our, our own things going on. You need someone who's reliable, dependable, but not necessarily like and ever desired, present. Like who has that desire to show up for you in that way. Doesn't mean they're going to do it perfectly every time or all the time, but they want to bridge that connection and it's sometimes you're on your side of the bridge more, sometimes on their side, sometimes you're in that. the middle, sometimes you've jumped off the bridge. Um, but that's, it's the desire of this is, I want to connect, I wanna make this work. Did you hear about, by the way, Batsheva Hart and Ben Weinstein? I did hear about it. You hear that they broke up? I did. Nine years? Yeah. 
What'd you think? Well, did we ever talk about the show on this podcast? No. Oh. <laughs> Are you offended that's... by the show? Ooh, that's a strong word. My unorthodox life, like wow. everyone else I know. Wow. So most people that you know were offended by it? That might be speaking a little too broadly. I know a lot of people that were offended by it. I mean, I have gotten into many an intense conversation about this show. Um, it almost seems like this is a publicity stunt to get it back into the into the table talk. The Everyone was talking about this show in the summer, and it's like, oh, that's a so should we ignore timely. it now? Um, no, we could talk about it. I had I thought the shows. I wasn't offended by it. I. On one hand, she's a sensationalist. Netflix is sensationalist. They want sensationalism to sell. That is what sells. So they produce a show that will sell. I understand that. On the other hand, if she truly has a mission, if she truly is invested in creating change in the Orthodox from world, she was way too polarizing. You know, you can't um, come and try and create change and she only presents one very specific side without acknowledging that there's good on the other side. There is some, there is good. You're right. Can we also talk about Batsheva and Ben and sure. their breakup and like all that stuff? And like, what? did they want to have a baby at some point? Or like, wasn't one of them well, not used one of to them like did. the orthodox Ben wanted to have a baby right. and Batsheva didn't. First of all, Bottom line, what is the greatest thing about this show is that people can now pronounce my name. So that is Bath the Sheva. takeaway. Batsheva. Now I'm a, I'm a standard household name. Which is what was it before? Batsheva? People have a hard time pronouncing it. What I don't do they know say why. Like? There's nothing phonetic. Batsheva often. Yeah, I could see that. Batsheva. Yeah. Batsheva. It's kind of hard to get Batsheva. But... Ben wanted kids, but Sheva didn't. Ben, it seemed, was more traditional and still somewhat more in the modern Orthodox world. Didn't Bacheva like the unorthodox was, life. Was kind of, I mean, the unorthodox life seems like a great life that <laughs> they're living. Right. Um, were you surprised by it? Like, why, what came up for you when you saw this news piece? I mean, I didn't really you know, care too much about it. I just thought, Hey, they're divorced. We could talk about it on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> really interesting. Like, and, and about that, like navigating that whole thing when you're really different from your ex and how you bridge that gap perhaps, and having the conversation about kids and, you know, how do you make that work? And isn't that something you would have in advance? And here's the other thing. I think I also got it around the same time in which I got a notification from Chabad local in the area about like, uh, a retreat about like rediscovering marriage or something like that. And part of my head was thinking about what are the messages we've received? And maybe we have talked about this. I don't know, but what are the messages we've received about when we should be getting married and starting families versus how much of our lives should we really be living and developing into the type of person? I would think that like, you know, wanting to leave the Orthodox lifestyle would be a decision that someone came to perhaps before marriage rather than disrupting their marriage with it. Uh, similar to the idea of wanting to have children. I mean, that's a big thing. Like, and I would imagine people would talk about that, but if you haven't really lived that much life, how much can you really have thought of or, you know, pondered about regarding your own? And if you're getting married, that kind of, you know, cuts off that thought process. Um, 
or maybe speeds it up or whatever, but you're getting married. And then all of a sudden you're in a circumstance where the only way out of it is through divorce. My only point being is I wonder what it would also be like if it was a very kind of just direct and honest message about marriage being important to the Jewish community. Family has been one of the mechanisms by which we have perpetuated much of our tradition. However, Judaism is not about necessarily the perpetuation of the family so much as it is about the individual reaching their highest potential, right? And whatever that is, and family might be one of those avenues for that individual to reach their highest potential, but doesn't have to be for everyone. So it behooves us all, if we do really value the idea of marriage and family and keeping them whole in that way, right? And really wanting to be prepared for marriage, you give yourself a little time to really challenge yourself and grow before you enter into such a deep relationship with someone that potentially impacts the lives of others in different ways. There is merit and benefit to that approach. And at the same time, one can argue that we're always grown, we're always changing. At what point will you say, this is how I'm going to be for the next 50 years of my life? Yeah, so there's always, well, when when does it kick in that you're ready to get married? I, I hear your side of playing devil's advocate because I, I think that there should be a lot more conversation and education before we thrust well, our see, youth he, into marriage. I guess here's part of my underlying question about is like, look, there are some marriages that, you know, end because the couples grow apart or because um, someone cheats on someone else um, or because there's something else bad that happens, right? Um, and you need a breakaway. And then there's also marriages that end where, because as a result of the spouse just changing in some way, right? Seeing themselves in a different way and the marriage no longer works for them, right? You can't really fault anyone for that. But I do think it is worth looking at how much time anyone really has spent coming to know themselves, right? So much so that they would change so much in the context of marriage, right? That all of a sudden then the marriage didn't work for them anymore. Does that make sense? What I'm saying? What's the bottom line question? I don't know anymore. <laughs> Fucking Sunday mornings. I got a little lost in the navigation. Oh. It's so confusing. It doesn't really matter, I don't think. Anyway. I mean, do we, do we, it brings up the age old question is, what does it mean to have a valid reason for divorce? Can you just say, I don't want this anymore and that's okay? Yeah, yeah I guess so. Why should one reason be any less different than any other? I, I was writing an article and I, write I, I, articles I had a, too. sometimes I write articles every once in a while and I hadn't really put these pieces together until I wrote it down, but it seems, it seemed to me in this moment of inspiration that what that divorce is so often um, contentious, right? It's, yeah. it's so classically conflict and battle and war. And I wonder if part of that is just beyond the logistics of division of assets and also 
we feel maybe consciously that it needs to be messy. It needs to be a war. It validates, look, I can't get along with this person. You expect me to be married to them. But if we would get divorced nicely, amicably communicating well, it would be very hard for maybe other people and you to understand. And because it's so sacrosanct marriage and we all, it's even in this conversation of what's a good enough reason to get divorced, that is actually really scary for somebody to get divorced nicely because that might take away their validation for divorce, which we really, really, really depend on when we really, really, really don't want to be married anymore. Oh, I see. So you need to be angry in some ways. It needs to be contentious because at least then the reason for leaving the marriage is the fact that like everything is contentious. Yeah, we can't get along. He's so terrible. I'm so bad. I'm so hurt. There, this like. Well, the whole uh, fight or flight element of it doesn't help because neither one of you is running away. So you're only left with fight. Right. And, you know, you start going into survival mode about things. Who might, you know, first of all, this is a betrayal of, you know, everything that we've been working for and I don't want this and. I, I think somewhere you do realize that like it's a death along the way and you're fighting that too, to keep it alive, right. In whatever form it is. Um, and you're not about to let people take the valuable resources that you need, whatever those are, even if it's the nice armoire, that's not going to help you get through anything in particular, but um, it could help you survive in some way. And so it's all, it's a bad soup. It's just terrible. I mean, all the ingredients kind of lead people to contention to begin with, I think, in the process. Yes, there is a natural instinct towards being contentious because of what the nature of divorce. But I'm saying beyond that, we almost we cling to it more than necessary or um, exaggerate things more than we Mm -hmm. should because it validates our desire for divorce. Yeah. Well, you know, can you imagine if you met somebody and you and they're divorced and you said, oh, or let's say you were having an open conversation. Why did you get divorced? And they said, I just didn't feel like being married anymore. Honestly, what would your thought be about that person? I would probably think they were a little flighty. Yeah. Yeah, I'd probably have a similar first part of me would be like, well, that's really cool of you to say it to me. <laughs> but part of me would think, wow, you just gave up, like, just because you weren't interested I think a lot anymore. of people would think that. I think it's reasonable to think that person was a little flighty. Like, we, I think a lot of us know what goes into a marriage, right? A lot of us, you know, like, we're not under these rose-colored glasses of that, like, marriage is really easy. It's common knowledge that, like, marriage takes work, right? And it doesn't that, mean it, that that person didn't try and make it work, but at the end of the day, their reason, which probably if us and the most people listening to this podcast actually dug down deep, that's probably at the core of, I just don't want to be married to this person anymore. When you take away the big ones, like sure. cheating or addiction sure. or things like that, which give you a really great, neat, boxed up excuse. Here you go. <laughs> You've got a good excuse for divorce. At the end of the day, really, we just don't want to be married well, but, to this person anymore. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. But so do so does that thought a thousand other times during the day when your spouse might piss you off about something which is far different than someone going up and walloping their spouse up a side along the head, right? I mean, they're just completely different things. You can get frustrated with your spouse because they have a bad attitude or because they smell or whatever it is and not want to be in the relationship and say, I just don't want to be in this marriage anymore. I totally get that, right? There's a, and then like actualizing it, I think is very different from someone being in an abusive relationship. 
I'm not entirely understanding what you're saying. Well, the, in the example that you gave, it wasn't necessarily anything unethical, but it was something that you couldn't, you know, bear anymore or that person couldn't bear anymore. I get it. No, right? not bear. Bear is like, sounds like I will die if I say this marriage rather than I simply don't want to do this any longer. It doesn't mean that they haven't tried for five years and therapy and interventions and workshops and retreats, but it could be they just get to a place where I'm, I'm done. I don't want to do it anymore. And we rarely say it like that. When you ask people and be an interesting poll, why'd you get divorced? It's usually he's an, he's a narcissist. Oh, she had no control over the money. She, or she couldn't get her shit together. There's usually some, I need an excuse. Rarely will people say I just was done. Okay. So yeah, I mean, and maybe it was judgmental of me, right. Not to express some sense of curiosity about it in the sense of saying like, there's probably more to that. Right. I wonder what else there is behind her you know, just didn't want to be married, right? I'm sure she tried her butt off to make it work. Um, I think a lot of us probably knee-jerk reaction expect that, you know, we will try, right? And to hear someone say like, I just didn't want to be married anymore to them sounds like blowing off the whole idea of, did you really try at all? Yes, but it all comes back to the point yeah. of, we want a real I'm doing air quotes, a real excuse so badly that we risk yeah. our health and our children's health in the process of divorce, emotional health, I meant, to validate this decision rather than if we get divorced nicely, that can also, that's fine. If you did everything and you don't want to be married, that's fine. You, you can go, it's like, can, like we can get out tickets. You now can go have a peaceful divorce. <laughs> it doesn't have to be messy. You don't have to prove anything. That's what I feel a lot of people subconsciously are trying to prove how incompatible they are. It's and then at least it validates breaking off the marriage. Yes, I can see that. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Right? You justify it to yourself over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not arguing with you there on that one. Oh, fine. So what should we argue about? I hear you, Princess Leia. <laughs> I don't know. I thought that was pretty good. Yeah. So what what was what was on your mind with Bacheva and Ben? Uh, no, I mean I wondered about the messages they had gotten, right, and when they should get married, and what their lifestyle would look like. And again, like it, it, and I'd been in that marriage, and thought like, okay, this is the trajectory that we were on. And then she was like, we're doing this show, and it's all about us, you know, changing our lifestyle entirely. I've been like, what the fuck are we doing? Well, I don't know if it happened just like that. Their story right, also I don't. isn't the norm. Then I think Julia, whatever her name is, she she kind of hung around till Bacheva's wedding and then left a few days after the wedding and left. I, from what I understand, they didn't talk for two years. So Bacheva thinks she's in this normal from environment, gets married. Two days later, her mom goes MIA and you know is no longer religious, abandons sure. everything. Sure. It's pretty shocking. Imagine being a newlywed. Imagine Ben in that situation. Yeah. Of he thought he was marrying into this normal, That's regular from family. That's my and point. Then, yeah. Right. So, like, that's my point. Just like broad strokes of it all, like the whiplash. Right. I don't know what really went on, but like, that's a huge transition. Yeah. Especially to go from what you naturally expected it to be. 
Honestly, watching the show, I thought he was a trooper. I thought that he- Well, so how do you do that and not build up resentment for someone? He, he might have, but it seemed like he was often thrown under the bus and he, he, and again, it's entirely produced. I have no idea what's real, but he seemed to be a really, like, they were blaming him for so many things. They were so harsh on him. And Is he like a pincushion? It just seemed like they, they I remember they like were just, there was one, did you watch all of them? I didn't watch any of them. Oh, amazing. You escaped it. Yeah, I watched it. And oh boy, did like, we like, the person I was watching it with, we were just, just, it was very fascinating conversation. But at one point, Batsheva says she wants to start wearing pants, I think, which is clearly produced for the show because there's no way she wasn't wearing pants beforehand. But then Ben was kind of being resistant to it. And he wasn't saying no, he was saying, I just need time to wrap my head around this. I do think it's a conversation they probably had not then because it seems like they're they were way past that but at some point and they went crazy like Bacheva's family went nuts of Ben he's so restrictive and he's and what right it's not his body and he was never saying that he was never saying I'm not allowing you to wear pants he was just saying we got married under one pretext and context and you're changing that and I just need time to wrap my head around the changes that you're making but it didn't seem like they were respecting his side See, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Like we all go through changes, right? So one, would more time, right? Allow us to go through greater significant changes so much so that when we get married, when we go through another change, it doesn't warrant a divorce in order to live out that change, right? And two, would it also make us far more capable of communicating that we're going through that change so that our partner could say, wait, wait, wait a second, give me a chance just to just process this and catch up with you and so that I can adapt to it, right? So that like we can go through this change in a healthy way. Like, why does it mean, why does the change in some ways mean that like the marriage needs to dissolve? I think I'm really all about that second point you made of learning the skills to communicate. Because like I said, I do think we're always gonna be changing. And it gives the other, if you can communicate, this is what, is happening now. This is what I need or want now. The other person can say, okay, I can get behind that. Or I don't think I can. And then that's an honest conversation. If we're not clear about it with changes that we're, we're always going to be making, then that's, I'm hiding this. I'm not being honest about this. I'm scared to say this. How's this person going to react? Bottom line is know your bottom lines. What are you willing to accept and not accept? And then how much are you willing to move that marker for somebody else? And sometimes you might just say, I don't accept that and walk away amicably. There's no hate. There doesn't need to be hatred of they made this change and I wasn't able to adapt to that. And that's fine. Fascinating. Okay. It came up for me with a client of like those three levels when you're, when you're trying to help your partner meet their needs of that's a change I'm happy to work with. That's a change that I understand and I will do my best, but it's hard. And that's a change that I can't, I, it's my bottom line. I can't stand behind. So those are, I think, really helpful. Yeah. Right. 
to say that you're open to change, right? And it's going to take you time in certain ways to kind of get on board with it. And I think that's really reasonable too. Mm-hmm. I have to imagine that anyone who's gone through a change, it's taken them an opportunity and, and taken them a chance, right? They needed an opportunity, maybe a long opportunity to get to that moment, right? And then to expect someone else is just going to be there with you already ready for it is unreasonable. Yeah. What's, what I, what's interesting is I'm thinking about the Bacheva and Ben thing. And I remember some of the heated discussions we got into is that I would say he needs time to wrap his head around it. And then the other people, the other side says, it doesn't need any time. There's nothing to do with him. It's her right. body. She can right. do, she can wear what she wants. And then that's also an interesting perspective on relationships or marriage mm. of, yes, I totally understand that it's her body, her body, her choice. But a relationship is more than two separate pieces. It's right. who are we together? How do we present? What are we representing? What are our values? And I, I think he has a right to have an opinion about it, of how yeah. do I feel about this? He doesn't have a right to say, you cannot lock her in the bedroom. Right. But in a marriage and relationship, I, I think he has a right to have feelings around the changes that she's making. Absolutely. Well, particularly in their context, right, where it is a value-based decision that is made, right, where in his mind, the culture does speak to, should someone even dress that way, right? right. In a progressive home, it doesn't matter, right? Of course, no guy's going to say to his, you know, spouse, you can't wear that. That's not going to happen, right? But at the same time, it being- I mean, it sensitive. might happen. There's there's always a marker, like a progressive right. open what does household. That look like? Maybe it's- What does that know, look like? Sure. There, there are things that- everybody has a line. <laughs> so, right. you know, I'm right. going to dinner in a bikini. Um, right. No, you're not. <laughs> right. Right. What does that line look like? You're absolutely right. Um, but understanding like what that means for the other person is what's really important, right? Because you are having a shared experience then. That's what I think you're pointing out that everyone may have a marker and there may be far broader, you know, what happens in a progressive home versus a, a an orthodox home. Um, but then trying to understand it and trying to understand the experience from a shared one, right? In order from to the, the one who's not changing or making right. requests, right, right? Exactly. Right. Right. Yeah. They they have. I, mean, I think that's really valuable. That often doesn't happen. That somebody has empathy for the other side's experience. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's a really valid thing for us to work towards right that that's really what stood out to me in that episode of nobody was giving ben that space to catch up or get his head around those changes and they were asking a lot of him and it just felt like they were shitting on ben do you think that points to like a general lacking in intimacy which is to say that like if they knew more about ben they wouldn't treat him that way despite the way a show is produced right no, it's, I mean, I get, I don't know what's real and what's not, but let's just say whatever, sure. let's just take it at face value sure. for what I was shown. Sure. It, it was such an anti-religious and what they used, overused the word fundamentalism um, perspective. So Ben at, in this episode represented that fundamentalist religious perspective. Right. So it was right. down his throat because they, okay. they were so anti that viewpoint. I, I don't know. It seemed like Ben was close. It was very close to everybody. Okay. They seem to love him, but in this episode, they really attacked him. And that's honestly what was a theme that I found running throughout the show was lack of respect to the other side. 
to general lack of respect. Hmm. See, I so, often wonder if like the, we're much more accommodating to our partners and like, you know, honoring of that shared experience when we know more about them and then we're less bothered by it, right? So many, so often we're kind of bothered by the things that our, our partners might ask of us because we don't know what's really behind them. I'm actually, and so like there's a confidence I think I might think the opposite. Okay. I think that we're, I don't know, I'm playing this out. I think we're more accommodating with people we don't know so well. And then the more intimate we are, the more frustrated we get when they don't share our perspective or viewpoint or understand better or quicker. I don't know. Yeah. That was my instinct when you said that. Hmm. Where did you get your perspective from? Uh, where did I get it from? I think that's just naturally the way I um, understand the dynamic. I think we probably naturally make assumptions about each other, each one of our, each of our partners. Um, and rather than take the time to have the larger conversations, we probably just blow them off and look for patterns. And, you know, when simply asking questions could probably be far more useful and they might lead to a deeper understanding of who we're living with and thus also aid in our relationships. Cause then you can understand why someone does something or doesn't do something. And then, you know, part of the difficulty and the mystery of it is that you might take personal offense that they do something because you're doing something one particular way. And if you don't know the real story behind it, then how can you probably, how can you really show up authentically? I'm a little lost in the who's who and the what's what, but I think the more intimate we get, the more um, the more we coast, the more safe it is, the less invested we are, and the more frustrated we get because we expect the other person to do harder, do more, understand more, and they don't because they're different than us. And it's like, we've been together five years. You don't know what I want for my birthday yet. Rather than first year, oh, we're just together. He doesn't know. I'll be calm and patient. Well, you're suggesting intimacy is a measurement of time. It's not. It's a measurement of depth. No, that is one indication, but yeah, not but entirely. I'm talking about it from a depth perspective. Okay. It does, it's irrelevant. First of all, there is always time. Time is always progressing. So from you to yeah. go from point A to point B, which is less With someone doesn't mean you necessarily share anything with them. You know that. The marriage is It is a function time. of time as well. You have got had to go from A to B to get it more depth. Yesterday, we that had less just depth. Means that, Today, yeah, we have the, more. Yeah, but you know that there are levels to depth, right? That relationships are like soil. Right, that certain areas, right, you go down deeper and deeper and you find other things, right? Or like an onion, you peel them back, right? But either way, right, that like that's a time is one of those more superficial things. No, no, time, time might is make the it undercurrent. Time is the you Fine, have but that to have time. How could you progress without time? Mean, you can progress with time. That doesn't necessarily mean that you use the time wisely. And so if you look that's at agreed. You need time to progress, but you might not fine. use the time to progress. Yeah, fine. but okay, fine. Good. We found something to argue about. Great. <laughs> Maybe we can do it. 
Yes. The one or five years was an example. <laughs> I, I, we could do two month anniversary to three month anniversary or seventh day to eighth day. Um, either way, there's an expectancy of he should or she should know me better by now. And they don't because we rarely know the other person's mind the way yes, that they know and it. that and but that argument is easily squashed by what type of effort have you really made over the period of time to get to know someone right and that's i think what's really important yes you don't think it's that easy no no first of all i don't think it was easily squashed but it okay. is you can try put all your effort in you both can be heavily invested in creating a deep intimate relationship and that is great and at the same time you may not be fully understanding that person in their fullest complexities it's incredibly rare no matter how deep you are you can have a deep connection and a deep respect rarely are we attracted to people who are exactly like us so it's yes. very hard for us to understand the way they tick what turns them on what turns them off what gets them upset because that's unique to us and we can say it, we can share. Every time somebody says this, I get annoyed. The other person doesn't really understand that experience. So they may have more information and more data, but I don't think that they will always do things the way that we want them to. And the more we share, the more intimate we are, the more we're let down when they don't meet our standard or our needs the way we want them to. So you're saying sharing is a bad thing? No, sharing's it's wonderful. But let's go share, back the to the basics. Of, when they're not meeting our standards. No, no, I'm just saying that that's a natural thing. But if we go back to the basics of how we started this conversation, if we are curious about how we're feeling, if we're open and communicate, <laughs> this was a counter argument to what you said that the closer we get, the less we disappoint people, the more we're able to show up. And I said, I think there's another side. No, I didn't necessarily suggest the more we're able to show up. I was actually suggesting the more confident we are in the relationships because we understand the other person and thus also can walk more authentically in ourselves rather than being fear-based in terms of what is that person, what does their behavior say about me, right? It's getting to know them in terms of saying, what does their behavior say about them, right? That's what the curiosity leads to, right? That's what enabled us to become more intimate. And that's what ultimately allows for us to become far more confident in our relationship with them. So confidence. Well, clearly, the more intimate we get with somebody, the more confident we are in the relationship. I would think so, yes. Okay, yes. I understood it as the more confident we are in their ability to meet our needs. No. I mean, I think if anything, that could reaffirm, right, all the things you feel about them, right, in some ways is all the evidence that you need. But at least then it's been affirmed, right? And you can walk much more knowledgeable in your relationship about the person, much more realistically about it, right? Right? Isn't that what's also helpful, right? And seeing kind of what's beautiful about the person, despite all the things that you can't stand, because nobody's perfect. If only we all remember that nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's. We just perfect. we just want everyone to be. <laughs> Except for us too, right? You're not perfect. We are, we are, we are, we are the two examples of perfection. I'm not getting behind that one. Mm -mm. Are you talking about you and Chevy? Chevy and I are perfect. Oh. <laughs> Far from perfect. Awesome. 
but we're like fine wine. We just get better with age. Well, I'm glad we hashed that out there. That was good. Yeah. That was helpful. I hope it helps other people. Yeah, what do we, we got Hanukkah coming up. We, should, Hanukkah we didn't even talk about thankfulness. Thanksgiving's oh, Thanksgiving. coming. That's right. I'm Canadian. We are a thankless bunch. Is there anything you can be thankful for in your relationships or in your divorce? I mean, I can answer that question, but honestly, I don't view my life in the context of divorce so much because it was so long ago. It, it, it was just funny. To, like, am I thankful for what am I thankful for in my divorce? So long ago. But um, I am thankful where we're at now, where my ex and I can communicate well and we have a good working relationship and we put our kids' needs first. So I'm quite thankful for that. How about you? Admittedly, I'm thankful for, I think, getting some time back to myself. We've talked about that, I think. Mm -hmm. um, the, you know, the space that it's provided me that I would never have expected before that I, that I probably dreaded as solely being, you know, time without my kids. But what that is, is also creative space for me and time to breathe. That's a real beautiful thing. I have to be thankful for that. I have to be thankful to my ex for that. Sure. Um, I think also the, you know, space to kind of look at some things with a renewed perspective. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And thankful well, if my children go through this and they get, you know, an added layer of strength, I guess. Yeah. That too. That would be nice. That would be nice, right? Yeah. The kid part makes it hard, but for another podcast. Well, it also just one more. I think there's a the, the kid part does make it hard, but also like the part about how do you spend with time with your ex over Thanksgiving or any other holiday for that matter, if that Are is you? something that you do. No, no, I'm going to have a Thanksgiving with some buddies. She's taking the boys to her mother's. So we both have plans, but you know how long it takes before you randomly end up spending those holidays with your ex. What does I that mean, look like? Very rare. We just did uh, our son's eighth birthday yesterday, actually. It went off really well. That's great. Kids said best birthday ever. So that Aww. Was great. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Good for Pretty you guys. Good. Pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. Nice. So yeah. Wow. Lots of fun. Deep relationships. Yeah. Lots to be thankful for. That's for sure. Complex times over the holidays. Send us your thoughts and ideas, friends. And what you're thankful for in your divorce yeah. or in other life areas. What you're thankful for, mm. as we've covered in five minutes here, <laughs> probably less. You know, we can still talk about what we're thankful for after Thanksgiving. Oh, that's a good point. Oh, you mean gratitude exists post Thanksgiving as well? Sometimes, yes. So now it's not seasonal. <laughs> mm. What a beautiful thing. <laughs> well, after, after the season of thanks, we do the season of giving either so we can. We could do either. What an amazing concept. Hmm. Thanks. And then giving. Send us your thought, friends, at the Jewish Divorce Project at gmail.com or check us out at the Jewish Divorce Project.com on the web. And we're on all of the social media sites Facebook, Instagram. That's it. So at the Jewish Divorce Project. Yeah. Reach out. <laughs> Chickadee, check us out and follow Chickadee. us on uh, <laughs> uh, what? Did you say chickadee check us out? Yeah, chickadee check us out.
Is that a catchphrase or is that something cultural that I should know about? You never heard chickity check yourself before you wreck yourself? I, I didn't. I heard check yourself before you wreck yourself, not the chickity check. You got to go with it. You got to get religious. No, I'm no. God. But you're all orthodox now. You got to learn all the catchphrases. Chickity check. Okay. I'm going to run it by my kids, see if it tracks. Oh, bye. <laughs> bye. <laughs>